Good morning. It is good to be here with you today. And again, thank you. I echo Minu's thank you to you all. Sounds great and love the extra instruments. We won't get used to it, but we appreciate it when they're there. So this week, our biblical figure is Esther. It's a it's an awesome book. It is also one of those that is a quick read, not as quick as Jonah, but it's still pretty quick, and we'll actually even talk about it a little bit um, why that's significant. But we're going to take a look at the story and kind of at the heart of the book of Esther um, in verses perhaps you are familiar with. And we're going to start at verse 10. I, uh, I, sh- I abbreviated what I had sent um, to be printed. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come in to the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. And I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him to. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever heard the phrase, the whole Megillah? Are you familiar with that as a phrase? A phrase that means kind of everything, beginning to end, and everything in between. That phrase comes from a cultural understanding of this book in particular. A Megillah is a scroll in Hebrew, and this book of Esther was written only on one scroll. It fit one scroll. It didn't have multiple scrolls as many other books do. So when you read the entire book of Esther, you have read the whole Megillah. The reason I know that is because when the girls were little, we were invited to one of the local synagogues because of one of my daughter's friends to celebrate with them as they started this, uh, the holy season of Purim of Boots, Booths. And during that season, it, it reflects this uh, story of Esther. And they begin by reading the whole Megillah, and then sometimes, as this synagogue did, they, they do it in a play form. And it's, and it's silly, and it's fun, but it still drives home at the very heart of this, um, of this book, this, this question that is within Esther, why? Why me? Why here? Why now? And Mordecai's response for just a t- such a time as this. So we're going to explore this Megillah today and see how we can learn from this and grow in our faith and grow closer to God as well. 
So even as in this fun and far off Broadway rendition of the story of Esther, it was clear in that that we, that we see Esther's journey. Her journey from being um, from the hovel uh, on the living, uh, she didn't live in the street, but she lived amongst everybody else to the palace. But there was also this internal journey that was going on um, from her identity as, a, as an orphan uh, to her identity as a queen. Others had, were identifying her as these things, but until she embraced that identity herself, um, she, she did not, was unable to do what God was having her do. She journeyed from her insecurities into confidence, from fear to courage, from reluctance to conviction. And the book of Esther is unique. It's not the only one on one scroll. Um, that's not why it's unique. It's unique because this speaks about the, the experience of the people of Israel when they were in exile, and it wasn't the people who had gone back. About 50 years before the story of Esther, they had returned from exile. They had said they could go home. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they were rebuilding the second temple. So many uh, people of Israel returned, but many more did not. They were living in what, was, what is what we still call it, the diaspora. They were sp spread out throughout the region. So this story speaks to the experience of those who don't live close to the temple, don't live in, prom in the promised land. And it, it is God's uh, a way of experiencing God's presence, helping us to see that they continue to experience God's presence, even when they're far away and even when God's name isn't mentioned. <clears throat> That's another unique part of this book. God's name is never mentioned. God is, or you never heard his name in Hebrew, but he, he's not mentioned specifically at all. The only thing close to a religious, a Jewish religious expression is in this text when in uh, Esther directs Mordecai to a fast. And they don't say for to whom or for why, except for at the end of it, we'll be ready to do what we're going to do. That's the only thing close to a Jewish expression of faith that we hear in this entire book. But as you read it, you can't help but see God's hand, a part of her life and a part of the people of Israel. <clears throat> so at the beginning of the story, I'm going to do a, a summary of the story. At the beginning of the story, King Xerxes has a different queen, and he asks her to come in and kind of um, dance in front of him and all his friends. And she says, no. Now, that seems pretty appropriate in our day and time, but in their day and time, this was um, about 2,500 years ago. You didn't say no, one, to your husband, and definitely no, you didn't say no to your king. She said no, and... She's excused from service as queen, to put it mildly. So the king puts out a search for a new queen and, and holds a, a beauty contest to find this new queen. And eventually, um, through all these different things, Esther becomes the one who is lifted up uh, into that place. But as, as a queen, but also as an ethnic Jew and, and, and most likely a practicing Jew, she is in between a rock and a hard place because one of the king's advisors has, has encouraged the king and, and convinced the king to set, set a decree to have all of the Jews in the land killed. Now, this is throughout much time. There's a lot going on here, and even years in between some of this is happening. And she doesn't know what to do. She can't go and address the king because we heard it in that text. 
to go in front of the king, the expectation is if you enter into the hall of the king uninvited, you will be killed. That's the expectation. It's going to happen. The, there's an exception, but apparently it's so rare that, that they don't even really consider it when processing the possibility of entering to the king's court. So through Mordecai's advice and, <clears throat> and their fasting together, Esther approaches the king once but twice throughout all this story and is able to turn the tables on, on the, the advisor, Haman or Haman, depending on how you, you read it. Um, and Haman was going to have Mordecai hung from gallows, and in the end, it becomes Haman, the one who hangs from the gallows that he built for Esther's cousin Mordecai. <clears throat> uh, the Jewish people are saved because Esther realized that she was in that place and time for such a time as this. So that's a very fast overview of the book of Esther. It is a quick read. It's not like 15 minutes quick read, but you can read it in one sitting or two if you need to take a break. Um, but I encourage you to read the story because and, and to look for where God is acting without God being explicitly mentioned. That's one of the neat things about that book. Explore that, search the scriptures as John Wesley would have told us to do. Search the scriptures and look for where God is active, even when he's not explicitly mentioned. So the, what do we learn about God in this text? There are lots of things, but particularly we listen that God is always present and active, whether or not we acknowledge or notice. Again, Esther was away from the promised land. She was away from the temple where they worshiped. And as people of Israel, to be people who are faithful to God must meant to be in the presence of God. And to be in the presence of God, you had to be at least within the, the promised land, at least live there. You didn't have to stay there, but you had to live there. And then on top of that, you had to worship from time to time at the Temple Mount because at the Temple Mount was the Holy of Holies. And at the heart of the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant and they experienced it in such a way that they understood that God was breaching the gap between heaven and earth right there on the Temple Mount. I had a professor say it's like the temple was God's footstool as he sat on the throne of heaven. So they believed that God was so actually really present at that spot to be separated from that was to be separated from him. But Esther's story, as her people are in exile, and, and at this point, they have decided to remain in exile in some way, shape, or form. And they feel isolated. And the people of Israel saw them as separated from God. But this story reminds us that God is always active and present, even when we may feel that we are separated from him. That God is right there in our midst. And God invites us into his presence, always. Everywhere we go, God has already been. He's there. You know, the big word is omnipresent. He's always present. He's present in every place, all the time. But God invites us intentionally into his presence. Versus King Xerxes did not invite, only invited some people into his presence and not everyone was welcome. And if they did come, they probably wouldn't survive it unless he extended mercy. Whereas our God and King invites all to come to him and none of us have the expectation 
of being put to death in his presence, instead reaching our fullness of life. Jesus said, I come that you might have life abundantly, fully, completely. God is always present with us. No matter where we are, no matter our intentions, no matter even if we're looking towards God, God is always with us. And just as the, the scepter and uh, Esther gets to go into his presence. I don't think I actually said that part. She goes into, oh, I did. I said I did twice. Okay, sorry. I'm backing up just to make sure because this part doesn't make sense if I don't say the other. That seems like a, a minor miracle that, that the king was okay with Esther coming into his presence because the expectation was that he wasn't going to do it. So it's a, it's, a, it's a minor miracle. You might say it's a minor miracle. It's pretty spectacular. It's a poignant moment in the text, and you can see where God's hand is without even hardly looking. But also, God is active in the mundane, in our regular, everyday, ordinary things. King Xerxes has insomnia at one point. He can't go to sleep. What do we do when our kids can't go to sleep? There are different things we do, but one of them might be to read them a bedtime story, right? Xerxes had that idea, except his bedtime story was to read his memoirs, basically, to have them read back to him, actually, by his scribe. Read back to me all the things that have happened in court. That's bound to put me to sleep. And as he does that, he remembers or hears again that Esther's cousin Mordecai had saved Xerxes from an assassination plot years ago. Years ago. And in this mundane, ordinary We've all experienced situation, not reading back our, our royal decrees, but other than that, we see God at work. Because, because of that, uh, the king elevates Mordecai above Haman. That's part of how Haman ends up the one on the gallows instead of Mordecai. God works in the mundane, in the everyday, and in the ordinary I even think God turning the ordinary into extraordinary is his specialty. He does that with us. Not that we become extraordinary, but he does extraordinary things through us, through our ordinary everyday lives. Our job is to be open and aware to God's working. And that's one of the things I think we can, we can learn about ourselves in this story, that God has us in the right place in the right time even when it isn't simple, even when it isn't easy, and maybe even especially so. That God has us right where we need to be. Even when we're asking the question, why me? Why here? Why now? Step back and ask yourself, is this where I'm supposed to be, Lord? And as that answer is revealed to you, perhaps in a, in a spiritual way, perhaps from a mentor like Mordecai, You'll know if this is a time uh, for you such as this, or maybe you do need to move or be removed. So how do we look and see God in the ordinary? I think we, there are a couple things. We, there's several things, but a couple things we need to do. is First is retrain our senses to expect to see God at work in our lives. To expect to see God's hand moving around us. To anticipate God's kingdom being at hand. One of the things that was, um, well, I've only been to one church council meeting, but I think it was new to church council meeting, was uh, when Ed opened, Ed Barrett, our church council chair, opened the meeting with his devotion, 
talking about God's kingdom being at hand. That's Jesus' first proclamation. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is so close, you can touch it. And talking about God breaking through, his kingdom breaking through into our world and, and seeing that. And then he opened up to the room, to all, to all those present. Where have you seen God present? Where have you seen God active? And almost, almost each one who spoke talked about seeing God at work in other people, through other people's lives. We have to retrain ourselves to look for that, to expect it, and to, be glor- and to see God's glory through it. One of the things that, one of the ways that's called is what are glory sightings. I know our bishop says that, have you, what are the glory sightings around you? We may hear it other places. We also not only retrain, retrain our senses, but our minds. And that's the expecting part. Expecting. Esther expected to go into the king's hall and be put to death. That was the expectation, at least before she talked to Mordecai. But we should expect to walk out into the world and see God active and see God inviting us further and more deeply into his presence. That should be our expectation. We have to work at that. That's not natural. Even when we don't see God present, even when we feel isolated or separated from God, that's how we start in this world. We feel separated because of the stain of sin. We're separated from God. But through the blood of Christ, his life, suffering, death, and resurrection, that separation has been taken away, or at least the offer of it has. And covering the stain of sin with the blood of Christ, and it sounds gross, I know, but that's just that's how, how we talk about it. There are a lot of blood hymns. They're really good theologically, but they sound kind of gross. But the blood of Christ stains us whiter, purer than snow, is one way of saying it. Takes, washes away all those sins. <laughs> So what do we do, however, when we're feeling stuck? I think that's something else we can learn here. When we feel like we're stuck, we're on this road, we're on this path, and we don't know what to do, we don't know where to go, we don't know what's, what's the right action to take. What's the next step to take? There's a um, Dr. Seuss poem that speaks to this. It's called The Zode in the Road. I was not familiar with this story before I found it this week, but I, I share it with you. Did I, whoop, did I ever tell you about the young Zode, who came to a sign at the fork of the road? He looked one way and the other two. The Zode had to make up his mind what to do. Well, the Zode scratched his head and his chin and his pants, and he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance. If I go to one place, that place may be hot. So how will I know if I like it or not? On the other hand, though, I feel such a fool if I go to place two and find it's too cool. In that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So place one may be the best and not place two. Play safe, cried the Zode. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start off to both places at once. And that's how the Zode, who would not take a chance, went no place at all with a split in his pants. We're not the only ones who ever feel stuck in this world. Esther felt stuck. So what did she do? She turned to a mentor. When we feel stuck in this world, we don't have to do it alone. And, and this is beyond simply God's presence with us always. Turn to people around you. Turn to trusted people around you. People who you see um, using their God-given discernment. And also being open to receive that. You could seek counsel and, and just say, that's a good idea, but I'm not going to follow it. And, you know, 
there's some discernment to that too of your own. However, if you're going into that situation, you're asking for help because you know you should ask for help, but you're not going to do it anyway, you have to be open. You have to be coachable. You have to be open to what God has, has to speak to us and to share with us through the people that he puts in our path. Mordecai was in Esther's path. He was her mentor, not just her uncle, and helped her to get unstuck. The other side of that is that we need to be available as mentors. Some of us are in a place of spiritual maturity where, where you're available, where you're able. But are you available? To ask yourself that question. Am I available? If somebody were to need something, uh, some godly advice, some, some uh, direction, some discernment, or just somebody to pray with, am I available? Have I made myself available? And I, that making yourself available is, it looks in different uh, looks differently in different times and different places, but you need to ask yourself, am I available? Am I making myself available to help somebody be unstuck in their journey of faith? This happens all throughout Scripture. It's not just in Esther. There are different people who help others along their paths, the journeys that God has set them on. Um, it start, well, it doesn't start. We see it with Mordecai to Esther. We see it with Samuel, the prophet, to little David, who becomes King David. We see it with Ananias, the faithful follower of Jesus, to Saul, who becomes Paul, the one who was um, not, only, uh, not only convicting Christians, but also having them stoned for their faith. And other times you see that mentorship coming directly from God himself. And in each time, in each place, each one is reminded in different words, perhaps, that they are in that place and in that time for such a time as this. Be open to the possibility that when times are hard, sometimes we say when times are hard, it just means I need to step out. That doesn't always mean, the th- mean that way. Mean that. It isn't always the case. Sometimes we say it must be a divine uh, intervention to me because it's th- there's an obstacle there. So I need to stop or I need to, I need to stop doing it. Sometimes it's the case. Be prayerful about that. But sometimes it's not the case. It means that we are part of God's solution to removing that obstacle that's in the path. And even Jesus himself struggled with that. You may remember his prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of his arrest, after the Last Supper. Matthew 26, 36 begins like this. Then Jesus went with his disciples with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus is having a why me moment. He knows what's coming. He knows what good it will do, but he knows what it takes to get there. But then he concludes, yet not what I want, but what you want. Our whole lives are meant to be asking that question, Lord, show me the way, not what I want, but what you want. The idea of surrender ourselves. We are, God's not living within us. We are living within God. If God's everywhere and I'm only here, <laughs> it means I'm living within God's presence. Surrendering ourselves over to God and looking for God's activity in the world, even when it's not evident, even when it doesn't seem active. God is present and God is at work. 
So when times are tough or busy or confusing or you come to that fork in the road, know that God has already provided for you a way, a path forward, whether it's through the advice of a person or, or, or through your own discernment of God's will, whether it's from who knows where. God invites us to open our eyes of faith, to see the path, to find the mentor, to believe that God has us right where he wants us for such a time as this. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to remember that it is us who is in your presence. You are everywhere all the time. And as we exist within your being, help us to have a deeper sense, appreciation, awareness that not only are we just here, but you're present with us, not just as a being, but also in your, in your heart of hearts. You're with each of us, as well as with all of us. As we have gathered in this space today, or gathered from a, a, a distance online, we are together connected by your Holy Spirit. And it's through the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit that, that we get a sense of your presence sometimes. Help us to look for it beyond, beyond the spectacular, to see you in the everyday. Lord, and as we come inside these doors, we can't just leave the world behind us. We bring it in as hard as we try to leave everything at the door. We can't. It comes with us. So, Lord, you, you know the concerns of our hearts, the needs of our lives, the needs of those who we care about and love, and the challenges that surround us, even to the ends of the earth. You know them, and we lay them at your feet. And trust that, indeed, you are present in every space, place, and with every person. So, Lord, we... We ask for your help in the midst of hurting, in the midst of illness, in the midst of indecision and questioning. We come seeking healing and wholeness, guidance and direction. We come seeking forgiveness and mercy in the midst of our fallen state. And most of all, we come seeking you above all, as made known to us through the person of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. We give you thanks for him and every other blessing. Now, as the children of God, let us pray together that prayer that Jesus has taught his followers to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.